0: a Unitarian, which was an embarrassment to my parents, (laughs) dragged me to a number of Trinitarian churches in hopes that I might become a compliant church member. In successive Lutheran, Methodist, Presbyterian, and congregational churches, I just couldn't constrain my urge to question. Tell me, how does a ghost get holy? (laughs) Are God and Jesus and the Holy Ghost in some sort of supremacy competition? And how will we know who wins? (laughs) Is it not just a little self-serving that only people for whom good things are going to happen are already inside the church? And whenever bad things happen, that's God's will, and hopefully it happens to somebody else. If prayer is a way for me to communicate personally with the spirit of life, why do old men in dog collars persist in putting their words in my prayers? And why do they feel compelled to adopt fake Elizabethan affectations when they pray? And who came up with the idea of original sin, and how is that supposed to help me? (laughs) Fortunately, my parents were not terribly dogmatic. My skeptical observations were tolerated at home and generally not ridiculed in public. Now that I'm old enough to have abandoned my need to confront every questionable belief, I'm coming to accept the concept of prayer. Trust me, I'm still skeptical of the mystical belief that she, he, her, he, or they might answer or even hear my prayer. Rather, I have come to see prayer as a way to send myself meaningful messages. My memory is full of uninvited criticisms that pop into my consciousness without warning. Some uh, some, uh, worthless comment on school lockers, a negative phrase uttered by an acquaintance, a thoughtless criticism from a parent. I don't remember a conversation with my father ever that started with other words than, you want to know what's wrong with you? All those comments still have dark, reserved spaces in my mind, years later. Evicting them from those corners requires some work and some words. Filling... <clears throat> some words... <laughs> got rid of that page too fast. Fortunately, there's still plenty of space left in my mind because I wisely refuse to fill it up with Latin declensions, algebraic formulas, or I once knew everything there was to know about Grimm's law of linguistic change. I now know nothing but the title. I possess a lot of empty in my head, and I am determined to fill that emptiness with what makes a positive difference in my life in the depths of despair and at the last possible moment I embarked on an effort to make a change in my life by attending a self-help meeting that ended with a version of Reinhold Niebuhr's serenity prayer Grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. I couldn't fathom those words helped that night and hundreds of nights afterwards. I started to think that this prayer thing might be a way to fill up some of my empty places. As Reinhold Niebuhr said, prayer does not change things. Prayer changes people, and people change things. Prayer is not hearing voices, he said. Prayer is acquiring a voice. Praying for the Mariners to win the world serious (laughs) contributes nothing to fill my empty spaces. But prayers that invite my mind to engage with the whole world, that let me extend my mind beyond its own dark emptiness, they have an effect. Mastered this are Buddhists. Buddhists seem to have perfected prayers that embody empathy for a larger world while filling my empty spaces. My favorite example you may know. May you be at peace. May your heart remain open. May you awaken to the light of your own true nature. May you be healed. May you be the source of healing to all things. Of emptiness, but staying with the Buddhist, I find my place in the world as I consider Rimposh's prayer poem. Sky is blue, ocean is blissful, trees are divine, rocks are enlightened, so are we. Still searching for what? Reverend Marisol Marisol Caballero, faith innovation specialist at the UUA says, I love the word prayer over meditation because the latter is often used to describe emptying one's mind. And I'm looking to deliberately fill mine up. In understanding what I'm doing as prayer, I'm placing myself in the company of souls throughout millennia who have hoped, cried, were sickened with worry, loved desperately, and felt impossible levels of joy. Personally, is to embrace a prayerful attitude daily, to spend some moments with Mary Oliver poems or the words of John O'Donohue or the thoughts of Buddhist thinkers that fill my mind fuller than it is. I would not presume to tell you what you should do with your empty spaces. You may like them. But I do suggest you might want to find a moment each day to say to yourself messages that fill your mind with thoughtful words. Find some words to hold. Steal some words. One of the advantages to being part of a faith spiritual community like this is that we get to be in connection with others whose hearts are full. We can borrow or steal their words and put them in our hearts. There are wise thinkers with warm and full hearts seated near you. Remember when computers cell phones, and the internet were just fanciful sci-fi concepts that promised to increase efficiency so much that we would need help finding ways to use our suddenly discovered leisure time. There was job prospects in the, twi- in the 1960s said the real growth area was leisure time consultant. Some deity must be chuckling at the degree to which we have allowed our supposedly labor-saving technologies to consume so much of our lives and our time. To reclaim my time from the intrusion of the world, I want to establish a prayerful practice. And considering the following. Rising in the morning from the Nantian Temple, form affinity with others, loving kindness, compassion, joy, and equanimity. And every day, may I treat people with tolerance and generosity. Join me in rising and singing our final hymn,